My name is Peter Kroll. I graduated from Bucknell University in 1999. And last century, yes, before about half of the buildings were erected there. The campus has really changed. I've been serving with Disciple Makers ever since. And I've had the privilege to serve as president of Disciple Makers for the last five and a half years. And it's a privilege to be here with you to talk about wisdom, uh, which is uh, a topic and, and a book, the book of Proverbs, that I have come to love over the years. Feel free to come on in. We've got one chair in the back. Do we have one up here, or is that being used? There's two. Another one back there. Also, yeah, here's some more seats. Great. Welcome. This morning, I would like to give you a simple plan for living in a complex world. I imagine that some of you have probably been Christians your whole lives. Uh, some of you have been Christians for less than your entire lives, and, and some of you, maybe you aren't sure yet what you think of Christ and you're still considering or exploring. Regardless of where you are in your walk with Christ, I'd like to give you a simple plan for living in a complex world because we face challenging questions all the time such as when should I get to work on that next paper what is my best career option how do I figure out when to take that next step with that special someone should I obey my parents and if so how now that I'm an adult what part can I play in addressing the world's injustice? None of these questions has an easy, universal answer for everybody. For example, let me take one question, whether to obey your parents. On the one hand, you might think the scriptures are clear. It commands me to obey father and mother. But I can also tell you that the scripture is filled with stories of people and nations who obeyed their parents and paid the price for it because their parents led them to worship false gods or even to become indifferent toward the true God. So it's not an easy question to answer. And the book of Proverbs in the Bible was handed to us by God for just such situations. Situations where a universal principle in other words, a law simply won't do. Situations where what we do depends on the circumstances. Situations where we can't act like computer programs, but we must learn how to think, how to walk in relationship with our creator, how to apply God's words in the best way. And these are situations where different people at different times and in different places might have to make different choices in order to honor the same God. I hope to show you this morning that wisdom is impossible apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to earth and died a fool's death so that we who are fools could embrace the wisdom of God. So you can see on your outline, we're on page 41, if you're looking for it. 
I would like to begin with a simple question. What is wisdom? What is this thing we are looking for when we say we want or need wisdom for some decision or other? And we'll get a definition of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1. And then in the second half of the session, we'll jump to Proverbs chapter 30 to see wisdom illustrated. And we'll learn what does wisdom look like. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would please grant us wisdom. Lord, you have promised us in your word to give it to those who ask. You, are, you have it stored up in your treasuries and you are just waiting to dole out a heaping distribution for those who ask. And so we beg of you, help us to see you, to know you, to receive your wisdom today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is wisdom? There are two main things you need to know about wisdom. Wisdom is a journey that's going in the right direction. That's it. That's all you need to know. Wisdom is a journey in the right direction. Let me show you this from God's word. First, it is a journey. The first six verses of the book of Proverbs show us this, that the main thing wisdom is, is a journey. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 of Proverbs 1. And I want you to listen and look for five statements that begin with the word to. T-O. Listen for those statements because they will give you the point, the whole point of the entire book of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear an increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. I'll stop there for now. We'll come back to verse 7 in a bit. Let me briefly walk through these five statements, these five two statements. First, at the beginning of verse 2, the proverbs of Solomon are to know wisdom and instruction. Solomon is the guy who wrote this book. He was a king of Israel. Uh, the Bible tells us he was the wisest man who ever lived to that point. And he tells us, the very first thing he tells us is that this book that he's written, uh, this book of Proverbs, it will teach you wisdom and instruction. In other words, you'll get from this book the right ideas. Wise ideas, instructive ideas. That's the first thing. You'll get the right ideas. But second, the end of verse 2, this book is to enable you to understand words of insight. What he's saying there is that not only will this book give you wise ideas, wisdom, and instruction in the abstract, but it will also help you to understand wise words very concretely. The difference between those first two statements is the difference between having a clear thought and putting that clear thought into clear words. Statement number one 
In other words, means, for example, that you know it's a bad idea to trust in yourself. Statement number two means that you can point out when a movie or a TV commercial is trying to get you to trust in yourself. Okay, so you can understand words of insight and the opposite. How often can we get the answers right on a test, but we fail to execute those answers in real life? That's this movement here from the first statement to the second. You know, on Sunday morning, I sing that Jesus is my only Savior, but so often by Sunday night, a sizable bowl of death by chocolate ice cream is the only thing I trust in to save me from a hard day. You see, it doesn't always translate. So we get wise ideas, but we have to see the words as well, concretely in action. The third statement is in verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing. This says that Proverbs will give you this instruction in dealing, wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. What he's saying is that this book will help you to live a life that pleases your creator God and his son Jesus Christ. This will be a life that takes good care of other people. You see, what is wise dealing? How does he want you to live? It's in righteousness, which means you're right with God, and it will give you justice and equity, which means you're good with other people. You are fair and reasonable. You refuse to play favorites or conceal the truth from people. So this is what this book does. Already, just in verses 2 and 3, we see some amazing things. We see that wisdom is all about right thinking, which leads us to recognize when others have right thinking and they're speaking that right thinking. And then we can get on with right living in righteousness, justice, and equity. And this progression really matters from thinking to speaking to living. Because how many students on your campus would agree that there is a vital connection between what they say or discuss in the classroom and what they do on Saturday nights. How many of your fellow students do you think believe that things like integrity and responsibility apply just as much to their social lives as they do to their academic lives? In our culture, the college years are often portrayed as a time for doing whatever you want to do, whatever makes you feel good. It's a time for experimenting and trying out all sorts of things and trying out all sorts of people and trying out all sorts of ideas to see what resonates the most, what will stick. And these four years, people think they will, they will train you to think straight, at least when it comes to your career, but how you live is really up to you. And nobody really cares how you live your life as long as you don't hurt anybody. Many would say your personal choices don't impact your ability to succeed in your studies or in your athletics. So drink up, have fun, meet lots of people, and explore a wide range of sexual behaviors. That's, that's what we hear all the time on campus. But the Bible says... And it's right here in these two verses that what you think matters and what you do matters and what you say matters. 
You cannot separate these things. Wisdom will instruct you in, in all three of these things, how to think and what to say and how to live. And these things matter not only when you're 40 years old, but especially when you are 20 years old, forming habits and shaping your identity as an adult. So you need to get started with your right thinking and your right living in order to get where Solomon goes next. You've got those first few statements about wisdom, but this fourth one in verse 4 is what I think really shakes things up for all sorts of people. What is the book of Proverbs 4? It is verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So look at what he says here. The simple, it's just an ancient Hebrew way of calling someone inexperienced. You could think of it as the novice. This, this book is to give prudence to the life novice, the inexperienced one. And so Solomon says to those of you who are as of yet inexperienced in life that you can learn prudence. It's another word for wisdom, specifically has to do with making good decisions. And to those of you who are young, the youth, and that refers not just to teenagers, but also young adults, you can get knowledge and discretion. The end of verse 4. You see, he's talking to most of the people in this room. And it gets even better. Look at verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one, of under, the one who understands obtain guidance. You see, this verse is just as much for your professors and your campus staff workers as it is for any of the students. This verse, verse 5, is just as much for the president of disciple makers as for anybody else. Do you think you are wise? Have you already found Wisdom. Then, verse 5 says, make sure you listen to this book and increase in learning. Do you have some understanding of how life works? Then he says, he says get yourself some guidance from this book. So if you're mature enough to make your own life decisions... You know, what car am I going to drive or what TV show am I going to watch or what sport am I going to play or what am I going to major in or which company am I going to work for? Make sure you let this book of Proverbs give you guidance. You see, in these two verses, four and five, he speaks to the, the inexperienced and the young and he speaks to the wise. And here is what he is saying. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how mature you are or how smart you are. I don't care how much experience you have or how much money you make. I don't care how many people you are responsible to lead or how much education you've received or how many degrees you've earned. I don't care how many hours you've spent studying, how much reading or research you've done. I don't care how many classes you've taught, how many sermons you've preached. I don't care how tall you are. I don't care how many pages of the Bible you've read before or how many sermons you've listened to. I don't care how many weeks you've been to church or how many Bible verses you've memorized. I don't care how many choirs you've sang in. 
I don't care about any of those things. Solomon doesn't care about them at all either. When all is said and done, God doesn't really care about any of that either when it comes to wisdom. What he cares about is not where you are or what you have done. All he cares about is where you are going. Will you listen to this book and increase in learning? Is this book of Proverbs going to give you anything? Will you receive what it has to say? Are you growing in wisdom? Are you learning greater prudence? Are you listening and increasing in learning? Are you looking to obtain guidance? Are you, in other words, moving closer toward your creator? Or are you just standing still with respect to him? On the scale of godly maturity, if you draw a line and, you know, immature, you know, spirituality, you know, low spirituality on one end, high spirituality on the other, spiritual maturity, Wisdom is not a dot on the line. Wisdom is a vector. It is an arrow. It is a direction on the line. Wisdom is not something you have. It is something you are seeking. Wisdom is not something you've got. It's something you are getting. Wisdom is not something you are being. It is something you are becoming. In short, wisdom is a journey. How does this apply? I have both a comfort for you and a challenge. First, some of you need comfort from this. And here's the comfort. It's that on that line of spiritual maturity, it doesn't matter where your dot is. It doesn't matter where you are right now as a Christian. And maybe you're not even a Christian yet. It doesn't matter if you feel young or weak or foolish or immature or like you've wasted your life up to this point. None of this matters. The only thing that matters starting today is that you get moving. Take one step, one step at a time toward the Lord. If you move one step this weekend in your walk with God, you will be wiser by God's definition than the person who has been standing still in their walk with God for 50 years. Even if that person has been to seminary, gets called reverend or doctor, and preaches two sermons a week. This is your comfort. It only takes one step. What will it take for you and I to be wise, it will take one more step. And after that, it will take one more step. That's it. We wish to offer you much comfort and encouragement as you get moving on this journey. That's your comfort. I imagine some others of you may need a bit of a challenge from this because maybe you've claimed to be a Christian your whole life or a large part of your life, but you still haven't actually gone anywhere. Maybe you're the same person now that you were two or three or five years ago. You go to church because you have to, but your heart is not in it. You might even think you're a fine young man or a nice young lady and you've got a lot going for you. And heck, you're making way better decisions than all the people who don't go to church at all. 
And you may need to hear this weekend that you are not wise. In fact, according to Proverbs, maybe you are a fool. With respect to Jesus, you've been standing still for far too long. And it's time to get moving if you really want to experience eternal life with your king. Both of those groups, those who need comfort from this and those who need challenge, you need to know one more thing about this journey we call wisdom. Look at the final two statement in verse 6. Solomon wants you to get moving. Look at what sort of help you can expect on your journey. This book is to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. This is a crazy sentence. Put it together, verses 1 and 6, if we skip the stuff in between. You get this work of genius. The Proverbs of Solomon are to understand a proverb. Isn't that brilliant? It's, it sounds stupid. It's like saying, it is what it is. But consider how critical this is. Solomon is saying that the point of the book of Proverbs is for the wisdom found within this book to drive you right back into this book. You will find the wisdom of God only as you stick your nose into this book of Proverbs. And, and I think we're justified in broadening that a bit more. You will find God and his wisdom only as you stick your nose into this larger book we call the Bible. This is why we've spent so much time this weekend in main sessions and in breakouts, in smaller groups, in impromptu conversations, discussing and explaining the Bible. Because you see, wisdom must come from outside ourselves. And it is to be found right in the pages of this book. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. If you haven't noticed, we've got a table filled with them in the back of the main room downstairs. Please help yourself. You are welcome to have one. Because if you want to be wise, you will need it. So the main idea of verses 1 through 6 here is simply to show us that wisdom is a journey. On this journey, you'll learn right thinking, proper labeling, right living. If you pay attention, you'll make progress and you won't stand still. And you'll do all that by keeping your nose in God's book. That's my first point this morning. Wisdom is a journey. But let me complete the definition of wisdom briefly with this. That wisdom isn't just any journey, but it must be a journey in the right direction, letter B. Look with me at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This book of Proverbs has a lot to say about wise people, and it has a lot to say about fools. And so right from the beginning, in this opening stanza of his poetry, Solomon wants you to know one thing about fools, which is that they despise wisdom and instruction. Now, why would people despise wisdom and instruction? I mean, what is there not to like about learning and growing? They might despise it. I mean, we, we can, it's probably not too hard to figure out because they think they don't need it because they're doing just fine on their own. Because they've already got 
this stuff all figured out for themselves. And they've got a reputation to keep. They've got to play it cool. They can't look too much like spiritual dorks. Because they're going to make it through life on their own without any help from anyone else, especially the Lord God. But the contrast to the fools who despise wisdom and instruction, that contrast in the first part of the verse is the beginning of knowledge. Let's say you're ready to give up your folly, your self-love, your self-interested. Let's say you're ready to embark on the journey of wisdom and you're ready to get moving in a direction. Which direction should you take? The first step, according to verse 7, is to fear the Lord. That means you set your eyes on your creator. You fix your gaze on the one who made you and who sent his son to die for you. And you make a beeline for him as though your life depended on it because it does. Your life really does depend on it. When you start learning about wisdom, you realize that you have nothing inside yourself to offer the Lord. Friends, these ideas that we hear every day, to look within, to be true to yourself, that could be just about the worst advice you could possibly listen to. That is the way of the fool who despises wisdom and instruction from God. The fool who wants only to follow his or her heart and fulfill his or her own dreams. That's what the fool does. But the wise person knows that the Lord has dreams for her or for him that she could never dream for herself, that he could never dream for himself. The Lord has life joy and peace and he's just waiting to dole it out to his children and the rest of the book of proverbs explains in great detail what this means and i commend this book to you for reading as you head home today now if someone were to stop you and ask you what is wisdom i hope you have a clear definition you can give them you could be prepared i might ask some people randomly when i see you later Wisdom is a journey in the right direction. That's it. It's a simple plan for living in a complex world. Are you ready to begin this journey? Let me illustrate what this actually looks like by showing you a few small critters that God made. He made them especially so that we could learn wisdom from them. So what does wisdom look like? We jump to chapter 30. Since wisdom is a journey, it's really important to know what we're moving toward, but we also really need to know what we're moving away from. Any guesses? We're moving toward the Lord. What are we moving away from? Sin, yeah, what? Ourselves. Exactly right. Which is what sin is. It causes us to focus on ourselves and away from the Lord. Yeah, on that, on that spectrum of spiritual maturity, draw that line. On one end, you write myself. On the other end, you write God. Our wisdom is an arrow toward God. 
foolishness is an arrow toward myself. This next passage toward the end of Proverbs clarifies this exactly for us. It shows us what we must leave behind in order to move toward the Lord. Let me read Proverbs 30, 24 through 28. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. All right, the main idea of this little poem is right in verse 24. These four creatures are very small, but extremely wise. So if we look at these small little things that God made, we will learn important lessons about wisdom. As Jedi Master Yoda puts it, size matters not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? Hmm? Hmm? And well, you should not. Let's look at these four small creatures. Don't judge them by their size. For each one, he gives us a not and a yet. We'll see that each one could have lots of excuses for not doing what God wants them to do. They all have limitations working against them. And so let's observe for each one, what are they not and what are they yet? First is the ants in verse 25. They are not strong. They are not strong. They are small. They're tiny. They're weak. They're not the toughest kids in town. They're just a bunch of little pipsqueaks. Yet, they provide their food in the summer. You see, they know that they can't do all the work at once, and they can't wait till the last minute. They know the right time to work. They don't wait until the night before the exam to pull an all-nighter. They don't put off their work so they can play more video games now. They don't get distracted from what God wants them to do. It's pretty straightforward. This is what wisdom looks like. This is what it means to move away from yourself and toward the Lord. It, by way of application, in my own home, we have a rule, which is that we work hard and then we play hard. That's a family rule that my kids can tell you. It's always more satisfying to play hard after we've worked hard. We get the chores done and then we have some screen time. We mow the grass and then we watch a movie. We finish our schoolwork and then we go to the pool. Wisdom doesn't wait or procrastinate. It takes those first steps toward the Lord and then another and then another. That's what we can learn from the ant. Second, the rock badgers. Rock badgers, they, just so you know about these creatures, they live all over sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East. We don't have many of them here in North America, so we should know about them. They look like giant rats. They're about one to two feet in length, but they're actually more closely related biologically to elephants than to rats. They have thick gray-brown fur, long black whiskers, two long incisors that look almost like fangs, but they're, they're actually more like tusks, like elephant tusks. And all of that is neat, but what's the point here? Verse 26, they are not mighty. A rock badger would never win a fight against 
his cousin the elephant, needless to say, a lion. They're herbivores, actually. They, they only eat plants. They, they don't set up mixed martial arts tournaments. They don't fight with one another in order to win their mates. Actually, they win their mates by singing. They're, they're, they're not mighty. Yet, yet, they make their homes in the cliffs. Now, most of us ignore rock badgers, and we don't know anything about them, but they are of great interest to leopards, pythons, eagles, hyenas, and jackals. Those are the predators that love to dine on rock badgers. And by living in the cliffs, rock badgers can keep themselves away from danger. The land creatures can't make their way that high, and the eagles can't get into their holes. They know they can't protect themselves, but they know where to find the best protection. How does this apply? What does wisdom look like? Friends, some people come to believe that they must make a name for themselves and survive on their own. And that's what it means to grow mature. They'll never ask for help. They refuse assistance when it's offered. Their greatest fear is to show weakness or emotion. They live at a distance from everyone around them. In verse 25, we saw that ants teach us an important lesson about working hard and at the right time. But please, don't ever think that means the Bible teaches you to be self-made, invulnerable, tough guys or tough girls. That is folly, not wisdom. Wisdom from the rock badger means you look for help elsewhere and you receive it gladly. Wisdom means you don't trust in yourself, but you find a rock to hide in. Let's talk about the locusts. Verse 27, they have no king. They have no king. No elections, no throne, no hereditary nobility. And actually there's, there's no military structure for them either as far as I know. They don't have generals, colonels, or captains. There's nobody in charge to keep them in line. Yet, all of them march in rank. Did you know that a swarm of locusts is one of the most devastating natural forces on this planet? You can hear it coming from up to six miles away. Each locust can eat up to its full body weight each day, and a swarm of locusts can contain 40 billion locusts and cover 40 square miles devouring 80,000 tons of food daily. They wipe out all vegetation in their path. They also consume linen, wool, and silk. If the swarm gets into homes, they'll even eat the varnish off the furniture. The effect of a locust swarm is to cause regional famines. There is no way to stop it once it has taken off. You can't stop it once it's begun. The only way to prevent it from happening in the first place is to pray for natural disaster because only a drought can prevent the locusts from breeding and swarming. 
But people start to ask themselves, is a famine with locusts really any worse than a drought without them? That's why in the prophetic books of the Bible, God uses the locust swarm as a metaphor for complete and utter destruction. So locusts have this in their favor. They get the job done. And they do it by all working together. They march in rank. Just watch Planet Earth. I think it's still on Netflix. They have a scene of a live locust swarm, and you'll see how effective and how horrifying it is. How does this apply? Some people think that wisdom means being the smartest or the toughest person in the room. It means you set your own pace, you accomplish great things, and you make a name for yourself. Sometimes we like to battle our wits and try to outdo one another. We think wisdom means that I can make the snappiest remark or the funniest joke or the harshest put down and be declared king of the mountain. But that's not wisdom at all. In fact, if you act that way, you are going against how God made the world, and his world will therefore work against you. You will feel good about yourself, but you will lose friends. You will accomplish great things. Yes, I grant that, but, but not nearly so great as if you had learned to play nicer with others. It has long since been proven that communities and teams of people can accomplish far more as a group than the sum total of what each individual in that group could have produced otherwise. Those interested in wisdom will learn this, and they'll spend more time listening to people than talking at them. Real unity is hard work, but it is absolutely worth it, and it requires us to look outside ourselves and be a part of something bigger. This is wisdom. But finally, let's, let's talk about the, the lizard the last verse here, this, the text, verse 28, doesn't actually give a, a not for the lizard. The word not is not there. He changes the formula, I think, to get our attention with this fourth example. And he wants to make us think. Wisdom literature in the Bible often does this. It doesn't give you all the answers explicitly. It wants you to think about it. I think he wants us to think about what the not should be. Because three times now he's told us not yet, not yet, not yet. So what should the not be here? Verse 28, he says, the lizard you can take in your hands. The lizard you can take in your hands. What's he saying? I think he's saying the lizard is not very fast. It's not very ferocious, at least the kind of lizard he's talking about. It's not poisonous. It's not dangerous. It's not large, and he already said that in verse 24, this is a small creature. In essence, what I think he's saying, you can take this in your hands, he's saying the lizard is not much. He's nothing much. He's not like a falcon or a leopard or a Komodo dragon. When I was in Africa, I went on a safari, and I saw elephants and warthogs and hippopotamuses and lions in person with no walls between them and me. And I was totally impressed by these creatures of God. But when I saw a lizard, 
I wasn't very impressed. They're ugly. They're freakish. They're somewhat irrelevant to me. I can afford to be indifferent toward them. And yet, and yet, it is in kings' palaces. I'm not very impressed by a lizard. I can take it in my hands. But I, I've also never met anyone who lived in a palace. Have you? This critter that is small and utterly unimpressive is able to live in luxury. What are we to make of this? I'd like to make some application for you from this last point, but that's hard to do because the text is not praising what the lizard does such that I can advise you to go and do the same like I did for the ant and the rock badger and the locust. The text is not praising what the lizard does. That's not where we find wisdom in this case. The text is praising who the lizard is, more specifically, where the lizard lives. And that is exactly what we are supposed to learn about wisdom because we must remember the main idea of this little poem. These four things on earth, verse 24, are small but exceedingly wise. This poem is all about the small things on earth, those that are not the strong or the mighty, those that don't always have someone telling them what to do, those that are unimpressive and un underestimated. And so as I speak now to a group of college students and some campus missionaries, some of you might even be tempted to think that you are not much, that you are not very impressive. You, after all, you're not a professor at your university. You're not a hotel manager or a business guru yet. You don't hold public office or get to wait, make weighty decisions on behalf of millions of people. You're just a student. Maybe you're even just learning this weekend for the first time how to be a Christian. So what can you do to change the world with the wisdom of God? And I want you to please get this. Look at the lizard, friends. He is small and unimpressive, but he lives in king's palaces. Though you may be small or young, or inexperienced in life, you don't yet have a career or a mortgage or a retirement plan, you too can be exceedingly wise if you would only dwell in a king's palace. I want you to know that the God who created you is the king over all. Because he made you, he owns you. And you and I constantly run away from him. We turn inward to follow what's in our own hearts instead of caring to follow what's in God's heart. And we do this in part because the very first humans made this choice. A man named Adam and his wife named woman decided they didn't want to serve their divine king. They wanted to be their own kings and rule their own lives. So they cast off their God and sin entered the world. But God was not willing to allow this state of affairs to go on for very long. 
He eventually became a man himself, a man named Jesus. He walked in wisdom and did everything right. And, and what he got for it was he died like an average fool so that we who are fools could become wise. But three days later, he rose from the dead to prove that he was, in fact, king of the world, the Lord of heaven and earth. And if you will but trust him today and the rest of your days, if you will begin this journey of wisdom, because remember, it's got to be in the right direction toward the Lord, then you too can be like a lizard. You can live in your king's palace. Except you won't take residence there like a vermin that doesn't belong. You'll live there because you will become one of the king's own children and heirs. So please, learn wisdom from the ant and work hard before you play hard. Please, learn wisdom from the rock badger and stop trusting yourself. Find for yourself the protection that can come only from outside yourself, from your God. Please learn wisdom from the locust and give up your preferences for other people and learn to work with others. But, but especially, friends, please learn wisdom from the lizard. Though you may be unimpressive when compared to the most important people in the world, living life with Jesus is far more valuable than living a life of visible earthly power. All four creatures are small yet extremely wise. And what makes them exceedingly wise is this. They are on a journey in the right direction. Excuse me. That direction is always away from myself and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get your life moving toward him, there's no telling what might happen. What would it look like for you to get your life moving toward Jesus. Please don't wait another moment. Talk to someone this morning or this afternoon to ask for help. Maybe you can read a little bit of your Bible. Take one step. Maybe you can decide to stop comparing yourself to everyone else. Maybe you can set aside sexual immorality or private addictions. Get help. Work on your compulsive self-love. I'm still working on that. Maybe you can decide to stop listening to yourself, to stop following your own heart, and maybe you can decide for the first time or the thousandth time to follow Jesus. Wisdom will look a little different for every one of us. All that matters is that we not keep doing the same thing we're doing and standing still. We just need to take a step in the fear of the Lord to know him better. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this time and thank you for your word which defines wisdom and shows us wisdom and, and illustrates it lord please may we be your people and lord please be true to your promise to dump out the storehouses of wisdom and of life on those who fear you and trust in the lord jesus christ help us we pray in jesus name amen